Shalom, shalom, shalom. My name is Michael Sano, and welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. My name Ooh. is Michael Sano. I'm Rachel Villegas. And welcome to the show. This is our third episode. Booyah. <laughs> I did, booyah. I don't know. It's just booyah. Um, welcome to the show. I've, uh, I'd like to read off a, a couple of uh, ads that we have from some of our sponsors. I'm going to try to cut down on the uhs in this episode because I watched the last one and I was uhing everything to death. So, iConnect, engagement with Israel that earns you rewards. Earn points and connect with Israel with articles, games, quizzes, polls, and more. So, what exactly is iConnect? Well, iConnect is a social gaming platform where you can play earn points, and receive cool prizes all for free. Their goal is to help you stay connected with Israel no matter where on the globe you are. Now, why should you play? Because iConnect introduces you to a unique way to acquaint yourself with all things Israel while working towards winning once-in-a-lifetime experiences. So head on over to www.iconnect.co.il. That's www dot i k o n n e c t dot c o dot i l and start playing now our next one is israel phones israel phones is the leading provider of communications devices for people traveling to israel israel phones offers sim cards mi-fi devices which are mobile wi-fi hotspots travel products, and serves the connectivity needs of tour groups, synagogues, schools, community missions, study programs, and individuals supplying you with international prepaid SIM cards, cell phones, and USB portable modem hotspot rentals. Israel Phones consistently provides dedicated support for your travel cell, offering cutting-edge technology at competitive prices, for more information on what Israel Phones can do for you on your next trip to Israel, visit www.israelphones.com. That is www.israelphones.com. So, welcome to the show. And dead silence, nothing from you. Okay, welcome to the show. <laughs> All right. Um, starting off, I, I remembered on my own, so you don't need to remind me. Um, I need to give a big, huge shout out to the Revivo Project. The Revivo Project, um, is a musical group. They do Mizraki music, um, which is Eastern, uh, it's, okay. So we have, uh, there's, there's a delineation of different types of Jews. When, when people think of Jews, they think of Jews, just Jews, you're Jews, you're all one thing. Um, but it's more dynamic than that. It's, uh, it's sort of like Skittles. It's a rainbow. There's all different colors. Um, and literally there are all different kinds of colors because there are different shades of skin. Uh, Mizraki tend to be on the darker side. I'm Sephardi, which is Sephardi and Mizraki get lumped in together. Um, a lot of people in the United States, when they think of Jews, 
uh, they're thinking of in the, in their minds. And I'm not talking caricature-wise. I'm talking just about what you visually, mentally picture in your mind. Yeah. Um, and those are Ashkenazi Jews. Those are Eastern European Jews because the majority of the people during um, the immigration wave of the late 1800s, early 1900s, when they all came over to the United States, most of them were Eastern European Jews. They were being oppressed by different European uh, governments, kingdoms, whatnot. Um, but... What a lot of people don't know is there that in Iraq, in Morocco, in Egypt, in Iran, all over the place, mm-hmm. there were Tunisia. There were different, um, there, there were Jewish communities there, but these were not like the Ashkenazi um, who traditionally uh, ate latkes. And no, no, I'm serious. The, yeah, so the true. traditional foods. Uh, of Eastern European Jews, latkes, matzo, ball soup, uh, gefilte fish, all that stuff. All the all the jokey foods that if we want to, you know, no, I'm serious. It is, you know, the, the gefilte fish, you know, that's, but those are Ashkenazi Jews. Yeah. Um, no, it's true because they developed in different nations. So like they grew different things. So they're not going to have the same types of foods that an Eastern European in their land would grow naturally. No, not at all. And my friend Moti, his wife, shout out to Moti Biton. What? Yes. <laughs> um, he's my best friend. Um, Moti's wife, Iris, um, she there she's is she Tunisian? He's Moroccan. She's Tunisian and Moroccan, I think. And if I'm wrong, tell Moti, tell me, call me as soon as you see this and go, oh, what are you doing? He's going to call you at like um, your 4 a.m. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he will. But that's okay because I'll take the call because um, he's family. And when it rings, you pick it up. Um, so she is an amazing cook. She's an amazing cook. And she sent me away for Shabbat. Because I what what I mean by that is, they were going to have Shabbat and I was going to go back to my place when we were in Beersheba, and uh, she didn't want me to not eat. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because she she uh, it's so she's so awesome, and Stephanie was like, this woman, she's like your mom or your sister or something Aww. because she takes care of you. She like pulls me aside and says, "Don't do that. Go this way." Okay, no problem. And and <laughs> and just the the conviction and and she's a total boss, which is awesome. And uh so you're 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 more than inclined to do whatever she says at any given moment. Um but she made she sent me away for Shabbat. She wasn't going to have me go away without food. So she sent me away with couscous. And you've had couscous once. That okay, was it's terrible. it's um <laughs> I don't even know what couscous is. Look it up on your phone. Isn't it? Or like, look it up. Yeah, look it up on your phone. I can't PC. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. We're, she's she's a Mac person, <laughs> and I'm a, a, a PC person, and we do all of our stuff for this show. Hey, hit me with the comments. Can't wait. We do all of the stuff for the show, editing everything um, in PC, so... She's like, I sit her down, do this. And she's like, I have no idea how to do it. So it's sort of 
So like it's, rice? It's cracked bulgur wheat, right? Or something like that. Oh, like the actual? Hello? Yeah, it's like, like look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah. Oh, it's different grains. Uh, well, anyway, so while you're looking that up. So she makes it, and she makes it with these pickled vegetables like cauliflower and carrots Ooh. and stuff. And I, I almost passed out. It was so amazing. But that's not something you would get in Poland. You know what I mean? In the Jewish community that was in Poland or in um, Crown Heights. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's it's just not, it's not. Available. Tra- it's not there. Yeah, it's not traditional Ashkenazi food. So, um, and that's the other thing. And that's why, and the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because um, 12 cities in Israel, better show so um, the reason I'm bringing all this up and why this is is the w- one of the topics of discussion um, is because Israel, when a lot of people, when people think of Israel, they think of, they think of people like Ben-Gurion or Moshe Dayan. And Ben-Gurion was from Poland. He was from a small village in Poland and he left and he, he left before the constitution of the state in 1948 and uh he was part of a group of what were known as maskalim and maskalim were these people who were trying to change their jewish identity they were trying to become it's actually kind of funny they were trying to become more masculine they were yeah right so um if you so because of that, you have to kind of look at at the history a little bit, and you have to look at um, the history of Jews in Eastern Europe. So, the beginnings of the Moshavim and the and don't worry, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain what all these are. The beginnings of the Moshavim and the uh, the oh, what do you call them? What do you call them? What do you call them? <laughs> um, kibbutzim, Moshavim and kibbutzim. So you have the Moshav which is a collective farm sort of okay and then you have the kibbutz which is sort it's 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 a collective farm as well but it's more like a socialist enclave and i don't mean that in the it's it's weird because it's not in the political sense it's easy to throw out the term socialism and say this is but but the the concept of the kibbutz wasn't political it was practical because it's like a self-contained community exactly so what they were doing is they were taking and that's an interesting thing that i read in this book um about how they were having difficulties with the uh with the with the uh kibbutz because they were trying to develop it along socialist principles and there was, was this one guy that um, Ben Green used to get into arguments with all the time. And he said, you can't do that. You can't do that. It doesn't work. And the reason they were saying that it doesn't work is because I guess I don't know a, a ton about socialism. Um, I, I grew up in a time when, you know, I heard from my grandfather that who would come from Poland um and and Russia. He was actually born in Russia and emigrated. 
with his parents and stuff. So they had nothing good to say about socialism. Um, Yeah. But, and this isn't a debate about socialism. This is just throwing out some background history and stuff like that. So the problem that they had in the beginning before the establishment of the state was that they were having trouble taking the writings on socialism and applying them to the kibbutz and the moshav, the, these farms, because the writings all dealt with industrial society and the factory and the worker and the worker to the people who wrote these socialist manifestos and treatises were all um, writing to the worker in a factory. They weren't writing to a farmer. Yeah, a farmer, because the, the type of work that goes into working on a farm, it doesn't translate, okay? Yeah. Because a factory worker can go in, clock in, work, clock out, leave. A farmer, on the other hand, is up at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. And done when the sun goes down. Yeah, so it's a different... <laughs> the expectation, you know, the um, one, the expectation on the individual is a lot greater. So it requires a lot more personal responsibility. And a lot of the things that they were finding were, you know, put more responsibility on the, the management, the upper classes in socialism versus piling on all the social... All, all the the physical responsibilities under the workers. Now that doesn't work on a farm because, in order to get a farm to work, everyone everyone puts in the work. Yeah, everyone puts in the work. So I'm not. This isn't whether or not this this podcast this episode isn't about whether or not socialism works. It's literally just about Israel, and and that was that was one of the aspects. That was one of the difficulties that they were having. Um. And the reason I brought all this up is because that is why there was a, uh, originally there was a political party called Mapai in Israel. Mapai eventually became labor, which is what, um, what the, uh, what, what one of the political parties in Israel is now. Originally that party was called Mapai and it was, uh, founded with Ben Gurion and a couple of other people. And its equivalent would be the Democrats here. So, um, but Mapai has lost, or labor has lost a lot of its influence and a lot of its uh, kind of power, I guess. Um, but the reason for bringing up Mapai was all of those people came from Poland, Lithuania, Russia. Because they wanted to change what the Jew was in the world. Okay, so at this time, um, did you take any of this at City College? Never took Jews of Eastern Europe. I wish I did. Okay. Um, I took Jews of Morocco. What did I take? I took... I think you took both. I didn't take Jews of Morocco. I did take Jews of Eastern Europe. Mm. Um <laughs> But I with uh, Elchad Elchanan. So um, big shout out. Biggie, what's up? Um, I'm going to see him tomorrow because I have a big announcement. I have a big, big announcement. So it actually happened in December. Right now it's it's June. Is it June right now? It's May still. It's May. 
Um, I am graduating from college. <laughs> I'm graduating from the City College of New York. He made it. Yay. Well, technically, he already did in December, but official ceremony-wise. Well, yeah, that was the thing. I was I actually didn't want to go. Boo. Uh, but I, you know, eh. actually, I... It, I have to defer to it because none of this would be possible if I hadn't followed that path, if I hadn't met you, mm-hmm. if all of that. So I'm graduating. Yay. Big fat Harry. So um, what was that? Oh, so the you had this group in the late 1800s called the Moskalim. And what was going on in Europe was there were a lot of restrictive laws just for jews that's one of the things that a lot of people so it's funny you'll run into people who who um i don't understand why i don't understand why jews have you know so many problems i don't understand why you know i don't understand why people don't like jews i don't understand why jews have such a problem with x y or z well the problem comes from what I just stated, these restrictions, these laws. So there were, in every state, meaning country in Europe, there was a law on the books restricting Jews from something. Yes. Okay. So, and a lot of those, like, I bet you didn't know this. Are you ready? Um, The Spanish Inquisition didn't end in Portugal. I think it's Portugal until the late 1800s. Yeah. Is it the late 1800s? I'm pretty sure because it's, I see it's stuck in my head is the late 1800s or 1930, like something weird. Um, but within, uh, uh, what's that a hundred years? Just about. Yeah. So in the span of a, a out to 100 years, the Spanish Inquisition, which came about um, specifically to convert Jews to Christianity. Um, so that because uh, Isabella, is that was that her name? Queen Isabella? She had debts and she wanted to exercise those debts. So she... Um, she went and persecuted the Jews. So the reason I bring that up is because this was just indicative of a pattern of behavior that existed all across um, Europe, Western and Eastern. So because of this, uh, there were a large group of people who didn't have rights, weren't able to do uh, make a living in certain things, weren't allowed to own land, weren't allowed if they did own land weren't allowed to farm on it um so they were they were restricted on where they could live they were restricted on where they could go and travel they couldn't just get up and go to baden baden germany or whatever so so there was uh during the um a little bit after the enlightenment there was what was called the jewish enlightenment 
And this group of writers got together, these Maskalim, and they wrote these stories about empowered Jews, basically. And what happened is these empowered Jews, these stories inspired individuals who were living under this umbrella of, of uh, I hate to use the word oppression, but that, that's exactly what it was. They were oppressed. They were oppressed by the state specifically for being Jews. Yep. And it was to the point where all the characters that you, caricatures that you see, um, the hook nose, they're good with money, they're um, all of them. And even some of the darker ones where they use blood to, baby's blood to make matzo. These, oh, all, yeah. all of these things that come from a very specific need to keep the Jew down. Um, even the papacy, which was, that was interesting. That's something I learned in middleman's class was a lot of people like to blame the Catholic church for oppressing the Jews. So it's weird. It's really kind of weird what the Catholic church did. The Catholic church didn't, how do I put this? they kept a thumb on the Jew to consistently remind them of their sin. That sin could be anything from deicide, the killing of Jesus, to not accepting Jesus. You know, there were those who didn't blame the Jews for killing Jesus, but blamed the Jews for not accepting Jesus. You know, and that's just something a Jew can't do. I mean, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't ring for a Jew. Yeah. So what the Pope did, one of the Popes, and I I don't remember which one. I'm sorry I didn't study for this class. Um, <laughs> I studied for that class, Middleman's class. I didn't study for what was going to be this class that I'm giving right now. Um, uh, what he did was he said, you can't outright, you know, um commit violence against the Jews. You can't outright do horrible things to the Jews, but you need to keep the Jew in a place where he's always reminded of what he has not done or has done, depending on, you know, if he hasn't accepted what he hasn't done. If he's blamed for killing Jesus, then what he has done. But he's always reminded of that. So the cool thing is... um. In this environment, what finally happened, and that's the thing that gets me about a lot of people in this McDonald digital age, is we want people to do stuff now. We want people to be empowered now. We want people to take off their chains now. And that is, in a perfect world, exactly what they should do. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, Spartacus moments where people, you know, get up and they say, well, no more, I'm not going to take this. Or, um, what's his name? Uh, Russell Crowe in Gladiator, where he's like, yeah. So anyways, (laughs) I don't know. Um, but a lot of times what people don't understand is historically it has taken a long time for people to, they've always got the gumption. They've always got the man, screw this. We're done. And then it gets shut down and everyone goes, that was a really bad idea. (laughs) Let's not do that again. So it's taken a long time. It took over hundreds of years for Jews 
as an oppressed people to get themselves up. And these Maskalim, these writers, inspired a bunch of people, notably Ben Gurion, to leave um, where they were. The shtetl. The shtetl in Eastern Europe was this sort of like a, a crossroads where a village was where the Jews were allowed to live and everything would be there. Their butcher, their uh, mercantile shops, um, whatever they did was right there. And it didn't leave that far because it wasn't safe to be that far. But these people were inspired by the Maskalim, the Maskalim, and they said, we're going to, we're going to leave. We're going to, the, the, the future of the Jew is not in Eastern Europe. The future of the Jew is in Palestine. Um, well, actually, it wasn't, it is in the Holy Land, was what they said, which was kind of ironic because the majority of them were atheists or secular. So the concept that they would say, our future is in the Holy Land, is, you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? It, it would yeah. be like an atheist praying before he ate. Um, we are at 25 minutes and I need to take a break. Um, <laughs> we're talking about secular Jews in Eastern Europe leaving to go to the Holy Land. So that's where we're going to pick up. Um, I have two more ads I'd like to um, I'd like to read to you about uh, two things that I really love, and and here we go. Neviat flavored water. Nature at its best taste. Neviat delivers you with a true combination of health and pleasure. Based on Neviat natural mineral water, one of its kind in Israel. It's enhanced with five B-group vitamins. It's naturally sweetened. It is low in calories, only 35 to 40 calories per eight fluid ounce. There are no preservatives, no color additives. It is available in delicious, indulging flavors. Apple. Mine. <laughs> peach and grape. If you're in Israel, you should be drinking Neviot. For more information, check out their website, www.neviotglobal.com forward slash en forward slash home. That's www dot n-e-v-i-o-t global dot com forward slash e-n forward slash home now if you want this water you can find it in the united states uh on a website called makolet online makolet online's main goal is to make israeli groceries and judaic products affordable and available to everyone in the usa and canada their online store carries items that are unavailable in most places in North America. Things like tahini, Israeli chocolates, frozen borekas, and the Neviat water that we are drinking here today. At Makolat Online, you will find your favorite Israeli goods or simply enjoy brand new flavors. All of their products are kosher and most are manufactured in Israel. If you want the tastes of Israel delivered to your home, visit www.makoletonline.com, www.makoletonline.com. 
Facebook.com and order today. Um, yeah, you got to say something because I need a drink of Nevio. And you're not saying anything. I don't know what to say. Drink, 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 drink. He's very thirsty. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, this is so good. You've been drinking peach the past couple of episodes. Yeah. I made you suffer and drink apple. Apple's good. No, the apple one, it tastes like a, you know what, a, uh, the apple Jolly Rancher. That's what the, that's what my son said. My son, the first <laughs> time he's ever tried these, he tried them. He said they taste like Jolly Ranchers, but not. But not as sweet. They're not. Yeah. So it's not ugh, like some sweet stuff. I can't even finish it. This, I don't know how they do it. It's refreshing. Yeah, it is refreshing. Yay. Um, okay. And uh, just a side note. So she pounds hers and it's gone. Yeah. I drink a little bit of mine. And this is how good of a dad I am. As soon as we're done with the episode, I save it. Yeah, I do. And I when, have no self-control. <laughs> and when my son gets home, here you go, kiddo. And he goes, Rachel. And it's awesome, and he loves it. So my son's addicted to this stuff, and he always tries to snake it. I mean, I have to keep it for the show. So he's always like, hey, is this? This isn't for the show, is it? You know it's for the show. You absolutely <laughs> know it's for the show. Don't even start. So um, tell them how much you love Neviot. I love Neviot a lot because... Like he said in the first episode, it tastes like if you took the fruit and not even like just diluted it in water, but like it's, it still feels like re as refreshing as water, but it has this fruity taste that's not sugary and like doesn't like make your mouth feel weird like you ate candy. Like do it's nice. Do you think of Israel when you're drinking it? Yes. Isn't that weird? That's weird. That's like the weirdest thing. And I swear, I swear, I swear. You drink this stuff and like, what do you think of? The airport? I think of, I think of when I got lost in Bereshiva walking. <laughs> <laughs> and it was almost like evening and I was like, I really need to get back to the dorms. And I have no idea how to get back home. Uh, I never you told you. Me? I didn't have service yet. I didn't buy my SIM card yet. And I was like, wow. I was like. That sucks. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was interesting, though. I got to see a part of the city that, like, I wouldn't normally have experienced. Oh, man. Well, I, I guess that's like, cool, then. I was walking, and I was like, I see the hospital <clears throat> over there. And I was just like, I want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's not. Well, that that was the thing about the the town, though. It's, and I'm gonna tell you, it's hard to get lost because it's Lies. a big circle. I'm directionally challenged. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, I think of it's weird. I think of being on a bench, just being on a bench, like there. All right, so in Israel. <clears throat> And this is one of the great things about Israel. There are benches everywhere because in the evenings, everyone comes out. That's one of the things that stinks about, um, I'm not knocking American culture, please stop. 
but one of the things that in this suburban society that we have, we don't go out in the evenings. We congregate in our living rooms or we sit in our backyards or, or whatever. But in the evenings in Israel, no matter what town you're in, people go out. They go out walking around. Um, because you've been inside all day because of the sun. So, like, yeah. now, like, once the sun is down, that's the time to go outside. But it's very, but Jewish culture is very social as well. I'm not saying there aren't antisocial Jews in Israel. Um, I actually, <laughs> I had a roommate who was antisocial. You remember him. <laughs> oh my um, God. He was an awesome guy. He was a wonderful guy, but he was a little bit socially he had issues with and i don't mean he had issues i mean (laughs) that's not what i mean i mean he had issues with uh social interaction which actually i i was i made him do stuff do you remember i made him come out with us to go to benji bar he had fun yeah he had a good time and i i uh i wish i could have stayed there um for a thousand reasons but that's one of them all right so secular jews in eastern europe um are reading well jews in europe in the late 1800s um are deciding they don't want to follow traditional jewish culture guidelines rules whatnot so they um start engaging in the arts and they start moving outside of their uh, comfort zone. Uh, a good example would be, there's a story about Theodore Herzl who wrote the, uh, the Jewish state, which was the pretty much the roadmap for what eventually became the Jewish state. He, uh, his sister passed away. Okay. And he went to a coffee shop. Yes, and people were mad at him. Yeah, and people were mad at him. And this was, where was this? This was in Vienna. And they were like, what? No, no, it wasn't in Vienna. It was before where he was before in Prague. Prague. I think it was Prague. I could be wrong, though. Um, But yeah, you're, people got down on it. Like, why are you not mourning the death of your sister? But that goes towards a very. masculinish that's not even a word um type of behavior uh to to step away i mean that's a weird example of it but it is an example of stepping away from the tradition stepping away from what is the norm and you had these people who at the same time uh political movements were coming up labor movements were coming up all of these new ideas on how to revolutionize and i don't just mean social revolution like revolution but literally how to revolutionize uh europe were coming about and the jews wanted to be a part of it the problem was (laughs) the europeans didn't want the jews to be a part of it so uh, there were a lot of writings which ironically were in yiddish um and some were in hebrew as well so hebrew was being revitalized um and there was this big it's because uh, at 
for a long time, Hebrew was solely dedicated for just religious use, right? Yeah. And Yiddish was like the normal everyday use in speaking and writing. Exactly. And what's funny is um, that, that, that Yiddish became diminished over time because they wanted to go back to the root. They wanted to go back to the root of what the Jew was. Aramaic. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Um, but no, they wanted to go to Hebrew. So, I mean, and I am paraphrasing and condensing all of these ideas um, very simply. So please forgive me for that. But uh, uh, what's go- what happened, what was going on was, and this is where the Holy Land comes in. Remember I had mentioned it it there was like a disconnect between secular and the holy land mm-hmm. uh, so oh, wow. <laughs> what they did was they took isn't that a cool shot we're looking if there if, if there's a video version check out the video version um on youtube but we have a screensaver in the background it's got all these it's got all the 12 cities in israel and this is a big wide panorama shot of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, where my friend Neely Kane lives. Neely Kane, what up? Remember, you know what I remember? What? We were on the bus going to Jerusalem, and I, like I remember seeing like these part of the walls, and I was like, the bus is gonna go over the edge, and we're all gonna die. Um, do you remember driving up the mountain to go to Jerusalem? <laughs> it was terrifying. And there were like roads that went off, and and it looked like those roads like were were suspended in the air yeah, it was pretty weird. cool i liked it i we took a bus the last time i was in Jerusalem. oh come on no because it's a giant bus on a road that looks like two feet across and they were driving like 70 miles an hour in traffic um so what you had was inside the torah inside the bible you had all these stories of uh, and when i talk about the torah in this sense i'm talking about the whole thing, the Ketuvim, the, all of it. The Ju- whole thing of yours. <laughs> yeah, for <Not> us. Mine. <laughs> Sorry. So um, what, what it had was it had these stories. It had these stories of these brave people, men and women. So it had, you know, David and Goliath. It had Esther. You know what I mean? It had uh, just just these tremendous, powerful figures. And... The, the, these people who were inspired by the Maskalim and the Maskalim themselves were taking these, these traditional heroes and, and bringing them to, it's weird. They weren't bringing them to a, a newer, younger audience because these stories were already known to every religious Jew in Eastern Europe. What they were doing was they were reinterpreting them or adopting these dynamic personalities for themselves. So they were feeling okay stepping out of their roles. They were feeling okay standing up for themselves. But they realized very quickly that there weren't um, there weren't any opportunities in Europe for them, according to them. So there was an organization called Paolo Zion. Paolo Zion. I'm saying it totally wrong it's basically it's uh it was an organization to get people 
to leave Eastern Europe and to move to uh, the Holy Land, which was owned by, um, and it's easy to say occupied, but it wasn't. It was owned. It was owned by the Sultan, the uh, the Ottoman king. Oh. So it was his land. He owned it. Um, but what they did, they were kind of slick. They said they would go. So there were a lot of people, foreigners, who owned land in what would become Palestine, what would become Israel. There were Egyptian people. There were... Turks, there were all kinds of people who owned land. Well, Turks didn't exist yet. Well, I guess they did, but Turkey didn't exist yet. It was the Ottoman Empire. So what they would do is through outside buyers in the United States a lot of times or in Europe, they would set up sales, buy lots of land, L-O-T, not lots and no. lots of land, but lots, lots of land, um, as in a lot, um, not I lot, um, or a lot. Ah, oh, so nice. Anyways, <clears throat> so what they would do, and they would set up these moshavim and these um, kibbutzim. It started with the, I think it started with the moshavim though. And those were the farms, the first farms. And they were modeled off of farms that were bought in Argentina, I think it was. So they had known this problem was going on. And I think the Rothschild family, one of the Rothschilds, um, was funding the, the emigration of Jews out of Eastern Europe and into Argentina. But then they also started um, doing the same thing. Theodore Herzl was part of that. But what's ironic is Theodore Herzl wasn't very successful in getting any of that going and getting people to move. You learned all of this in Elhanan's class? I learned all of this from Elhanan and a bunch of reading. Yeah, because... uh, All right. So... I learned this from that. Um, I learned a lot of it from Kratka indirectly um, because Kratka had a book in her syllabus called uh, The Short History of the Jewish People. And it was recommended that you get it. And nobody got it. But I got it. And I read it. And I actually had my son read it. And Bob was like, holy cow, I had no idea all this stuff. And it covers everything. And then I read a story, about, I read a biography of Moshe Diane and learned a lot of this. I read a biography of Theodore Herzl. I told you about Theodore Herzl. You read yeah. for the uh, for the episode that I... Icons. Yeah, I want to make that. Um, the thing is, I want to make this, I want to... All right, so I really love Israeli history. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fun. I think as it pertains to so many... So I had my son read this book called The History of the New York Police Department. I had him read this book because I read this book and was blown away. And I said, I had no idea that New York City was so important and integral 
to world history since its existence. On top of that, I had no idea that the New York Police Department was so involved in so many things that happened across the world. I didn't. I was just, I was blown away by it. And I had my son read the book, who's a champ, and he reads so well. He's 15. He's uh, he's reading phenomenally. He reads way outside of his fight class, man. He's reading like two weights up. He really is. He's good. Nice. Um, and he read the, and he can, but he can blow it back at you. He can be like, yeah, like in 1857 when they did the thing, Dad. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I read that too. Um, but he, uh, so the the reason I'm bringing that up is because a lot of the histories that I've read um, are not just restricted to Israel. So since you've got the Torah, you got the Bible, you've got so many Muslims who lived in that area, you have... Um, I mean, because those two books come from there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you have so many countries who've had a vested interest. Did you know, I didn't know this, that um, there is a large majority of biblical scholars who come from Germany. Yeah, exactly. That was my face. And I said, yeah. I, I every time I read about this, I'm reading about someone. Well, apparently there was a big school. Like, And when I say school, I don't mean like there was a building. Traditionally, what a school was, was a school would be a group of academics at different places, and they would comprise that train of thought. So Germany had a large school of like a like a school of fish <laughs> i know but it, it totally makes sense you know what i mean it's like an academic school is much like a school of fish so they they make the fish face so um no they don't they don't um so there was a large academic school and still is of biblical um learning in in germany uh that's why I didn't know this. There is a German colony in, is it, is that why there's a German colony in Haifa or there's, what? I know that there's a German, like there were a lot of Germans who spent a lot of time in, in Israel because it was, um, it, it followed in that, that, uh, uh, what is it? That religious educational aspect. So or that aspect of religious education. So um, I got sidetracked. What was I talking about? I was talking about Maskalim and, oh, so, so, all right. So we're, we're at a point now where people are leaving. Um, Europe. They're leaving Europe and they're going and they've got this concept of what Nietzsche called the Superman, okay? Because they were reading all of these philosophical treatises on reinvention of the self, become something new. It's like Tony Robbins back in the late, eight, no, I'm serious, where they were like, you can be something better. You 
a Jew is not a physical specimen in that day and age. A Jew is not a physical specimen. So they said, we're going to change that. We're going to change that. We're going to do something that no Jew in Eastern Europe has done. We are going to work the land. Okay, so Jews traditionally couldn't work the land. They weren't allowed. They were legally... Um, from, yeah, yeah, they were legally uh, prohibited Large. from owning land or working land. You know what I mean? From farming. Uh, they didn't want them to compete with European farmers and stuff like that. Um, which, which ironically, one of the things that they were allowed to do was work in the exchange of currency. And in that working in the exchange of currency, they were allowed to make loans because Christianity did not allow specific transactions. I think it's uh, the accumulation of interest and stuff like that. But there needed to be capital lent so that people could do things. But if Catholicism restricts the Catholic from doing it, let's just have the Jew do it. Hence, Jews are good with money. Not by choice, by direct governmental decree. You know what I mean? They were they 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 were allowed to do that. They weren't they were only allowed to do a few specific things. And and what's ironic is when debts got too bad. They were told not to do it and stripped of all their assets. So, um, yeah, that's where that comes from. So in order to, you know, get rid of that whole life uh, concept. Uh, stigma. Stigma, way of life. These 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 individuals, these Khalutzim, um, these people who wanted to be, uh, I think that's right. I think that's the right phrase. They're pioneers, so to speak. They left Eastern Europe. They boarded on ship, sometimes really dangerous journeys. You know what I mean? Um, and they wound up and they were working in, they were allowed to do something that they'd never done before. They had worked the land. They own land. Um, and that didn't come without uh, problems because there were a lot of people in. So laws were loosely. So you have to understand coming from a place, Eastern Europe, where laws were such a part of daily life, especially for the Jew who saw the end of law, you know, meted out on him on a daily basis. You know, people could turn and say, I'm doing this because the law sets, you know, they and then they went to the Ottoman Empire and Jerusalem and the Jerusalem district. So the Jerusalem district of the Ottoman Empire stretched all the way down to Beersheba and was the border of Syria all the way down. So it was this huge area and it was considered a backwater. It was considered like like the way. Some people in Israel today look at Beersheba 
as being this oh that's the desert that's they're the it's the hillbillies of of uh of israel which uh i'll be a hillbilly in israel any day um i love better um to the ottoman empire that whole area was that way there was nothing special about it it was it was a place um where you weren't gonna it, it wasn't exceedingly fertile so you weren't going to get that much um tax wise into the into the ottoman coffers from that area so they were able to one get the land relatively cheap and um but because of that it was and i don't want to say a lawless area but laws weren't specifically enacted so you had a lot of people who were working on the the honor system and but not necessarily the honor system they were working on so let's say you park your car next door okay you've been parking your car there every day because the old lady says no problem you can park your car there mm-hmm. and then um a new family moves in and Eesh. you continue to park your car there and they say you can't i'm sorry you can't park here i own this now i've been parking my car here for f- 40 years yeah i get that but i own the house now please don't park here well i'm gonna park here anyway um i'm gonna have your car towed so that was basically what was going on you had a lot of individuals who were living there not a lot you had some individuals who were living there some ran into this not everyone ran into this a lot of times people were brought in locals to help work um because a lot of work needed to be done in order to make the the land fertile, uh, yeah. digging ditches and stuff like that. Um, but in in a lot of instances, you know, there were issues with people who had farmed or worked the land or had their um, livestock, their sheep. You know, they were shepherding on that land and were being told, "I'm sorry, you can't do it anymore. I've been doing it for years." Okay but we own it now and we'd like you to not do that. Um, and I'm going to be honest. Some of the, some of, some of us who came over there were probably not very nice. Um, because not everyone's nice. Um, but you had individuals who are now, who had seen, who had been pushed around for, centuries who are now puffing their chest Mm -hmm. so contention was um you know something that was gonna happen so um but on the whole that's how the ashkenazim wound up coming originally to the land of israel uh after you know centuries of not being there although there were still people who lived in Jerusalem. There were still people who lived um, in cities around the Ottoman territory, the Jerusalem district and stuff like that. But Wow. You know what? This episode, I, I weren't we going to talk about um, school? School. <laughs> we we're going to talk about Ben Gurion University, and I started talking about diversity. So, no, I started talking about all the different Jews and – that led to a history lesson on 
how they got there. How the Musk, how Eastern Europeans wound up coming. And this is totally paraphrased. This is totally um, uh, bunched together, condensed and everything. And I have dominated the majority of the conversation. I am so sorry. No, I mean, I don't know the information like you do, so. And if I'm wrong, all right, this is important. If I'm wrong, I'm okay being wrong, but you got to tell me I'm wrong. Don't be a hater. Go up and put, you know, crappy comments up and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. You can do that. You're well within your rights to do that. But what I would like you to do and what I ask you to do is if I'm wrong on something, let me know. Uh, you can put it in the comments. Please put it in the comments. Um, I will respond um, in the comments. I will also, if you would like, if it would make you feel better, let me know. Um, I can bring it up in the next podcast or the next couple of podcasts or whenever. I'm more than happy to address comments. I'm more than happy to be wrong. Um, because the whole part of this podcast is information, information, honesty, and, you know, just having fun learning, having fun doing stuff, having fun traveling, letting you know about a place I love, letting you know about a place she loves and uh yeah in the microphone buddy i know (laughs) (laughs) all right um wow i have dominated an hour are you ready um i am gonna finish up i'm gonna finish this up i want to uh i want to address two i would like to tell you about two um organizations that are close to our hearts um one is ale uh, Ale helps children with complex disabilities receive state-of-the-art medical, educational, and rehabilitative care in Ale's four facilities. In addition, Ale provides thousands of outpatient treatments annually. Without Ale, many of these children would be forced to spend their lives in hospitals with no opportunities for rehabilitation, education, and the love and warmth of a home please visit www.ale.org that's www.aleh.org and see if there is a way that you can help the next one is schneider children's medical center of israel it's the only comprehensive tertiary care hospital of its kind in the country and in the middle east offering the full range of pediatric disciplines under one roof to all children from 0 to 18. Since its establishment in 1991, Schneider Children's has revolutionized the practice of pediatric medicine in the country and has been recognized as one of the leading pediatric institutions in the world. To see what you can do for them, please visit www.schneider.org.il forward slash ENG, that's www dot s-c-h-n-e-i-d-e-r dot o-r-g dot i-l forward slash e-n-g all right now um i want to talk about one more thing um and this is really important so we want to film six episodes of our full half hour link 12 cities in israel travel show to do this we need to be in israel to film Through fundraising, we are trying to make our budget of $50,000. 
This will include airfare and lodging, equipment and transportation around Israel, and a host of other things that are required when on location with a crew of four people for seven weeks in another country. By giving us just $2, you can bring us closer to the $50,000 that we need and enable us enable us to bring the full 12 cities in Israel web series to life. That's our half hour show. Um, that's our half hour show where we go to a city, one of the 12 cities that you've seen on the screen. If you're watching the video portion, that is, uh, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Haifa, Netanya, Herzliya, Jerusalem, Elat, Beersheba, Tel Aviv, Yafo, and Tiberias. What? I remembered all of them, yo. Um, and already, already we've been getting donations. Already people have started helping us. Thank you so much. And we would like to say thank you so much to Adam Newman from Huntington Beach. Orange County, California. Oh, Adam, thank you so much. I was actually on uh, Facebook Messenger with him um, in the evening. Him and his wonderful family, they are just awesome. They are great. Thank you so much for the wonderful things that you said about the show. You read, did you read them? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. He just, he is a great guy. Great guy. Really, really great guy. If you ever need anything, you know how to reach out to us. Let me know. Um, we'd be more than happy to do whatever we can to help you out because you went out of your way to help us out. Um, the best to you and your family from our families. Um, all right. Thank you so much for joining us for the 12 cities in Israel podcast. Don't, don't, don't forget to subscribe to our feed and become a part of the 12 cities in Israel community. We'll be bringing you a brand new podcast every week. So keep your eyes out for that. And please visit our YouTube channel where you can see our video version of this podcast, plus our other videos that we've created, including our full-length travel episode of the city of Beersheba in southern Israel. And while you're there, please share it and subscribe. And check us out at our website at www.12citiesinisrael.com and on our Facebook page and on our Instagram where every day we post a brand new picture from our travels in Israel. All right, and that's it. Yalla bye. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, I'm